1: Sam Farber,
2: welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast. Brought to you by Senta, Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. It is an off day for the Hornets, but never an off day here on the HHC. Another special guest joining us in studio. It is Hornets Center Nick Richards. He sits down with me. Talks talks. Talks about year four in the NBA, his process of entering the association. You might recall he came in during the COVID times, what it was like trying to wait out the draft date selection, let alone the draft process, and break into the league, and also talk about now establishing himself as a consistent piece for the Hornets, as well as in the NBA as a whole. Without further ado, let's welcome Hornets center Nick Richards back with us in studio here on the Hornets Hivecast. Nick,
1: welcome back. Good to be back. How y'all doing?
2: We're doing great. Good to have you here. Season four for you in the NBA. I think you're officially a veteran now. Does it feel like you're one?
1: Uh, not yet, not yet. I heard that when you get to year seven or eight, that's when you're called a vet. So I still got a ways to go.
2: Okay, that's, that's a, a fair number. To me, I think a veteran... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of a veteran as anyone who's off of their rookie contract. Okay, and okay. there's a lot that comes with that. You've obviously now established yourself in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've established a role for yourself. You're no longer just a prospect. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, you can say that. Uh, I think there's still some room to grow in my game. There's some room to grow in everybody's game. You know, look at guys that are like 17 plus in the league. They're still finding ways to so improve their game and learn, learn the game.
2: Does it help to at least have a a stronger understanding of where you stand on the current roster? Meaning to say, you know, when you were starting off, you didn't know if you are going to be in the rotation any Mm -hmm. given night or or how much you were going to play. Now you know you're part of that second unit. You have expectations for you. Does it help you to make gains in some of those areas, knowing what's going to be expected of you night after night?
1: Definitely, you you know, walking into the arena knowing that you're going to play a certain amount of minutes and you know you're... If you do the if you do the right things you're guaranteed to play this amount of minutes. I would say it was definitely harder, you know, when I, my first 2 years coming into the league and just walking in walking in and not knowing if I'm going to play tonight. So I would say it's definitely gotten easier. There's
2: also, I'm sure some some financial assistance having signed that contract now. How has your life changed now that you've gone from being on a rookie contract to being on something significantly more substantial? <laughs>
1: It hasn't really changed that much. I'm not really. I don't really see myself, you know, being that I that kind of gotta spend money when he gets more of it. I probably say my. I probably just got more. I'm into technology a little bit, so I probably just got more expensive computers, TVs, video games, probably stuff like that. But everything else is is probably stayed the same.
2: With this group video game stuff, you had had to stay on par. It probably probably helps out your gaming stuff. Yeah. Only four players on the team, by my count, have been with the Hornets longer than you have. You're in a class with LaMelo and others, obviously. Mm -hmm. Has it elevated your role within the team, maybe not just as a veteran, but as one of the leaders and part of the core?
1: Uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, I came in with LaMelo, so we got drafted together. So, you know, we, we know a little bit more about each other than guys that just came in. But... We also, we also look at guys like Miles, Terry, and P.J. You know, they've been longer. P.J. has been longer here than us for one year. So we look to those guys, you know, for, for more leadership out, if anything.
2: Entering the league with Lamelo, how have you seen him change since your
1: joint rookie year? Uh, he's, still, he's still the same guy personality-wise, but basketball game definitely has gotten a thousand times better. You know, he came into the league with the potential to be a superstar, and now he is a superstar. So personality-wise hasn't changed a bit.
2: There's a saying uh, a lot of parents use that years are short, days are long. And I think in the NBA, you, you mm-hmm. could use that too. The years are short, days are, are long mm-hmm. sometimes. It doesn't feel like it's been four seasons since you made your way nah, into the NBA.
1: No, nah, it hasn't. It def, it's definitely been really, 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 really quick. It feels like I just got, I was just coming out of college yesterday. I can remember everything that just happened. Um, we were. Uh, it was the COVID year. Um, we were weighing. Months and months and months and months to get drafted, you know, it would be a really good story to tell my kids one day, hopefully when they're born.
2: Well, tell us a little bit of the story. We'll we'll give you a chance to, you know, mm-hmm. work on the first draft of it. I mean, that was such a strange year in terms of, I mean, the workout processes were completely different. A lot of players just didn't have them. The draft process, like you said, we didn't know for a long time when exactly the draft was going to take place. Mm-hmm. So your recollections now, getting to look back a little bit on that time in your life and a very strange draft process that year for the NBA.
1: Man, it took a lot of patience that year. It was just... You know, when the pandemic first started, we were hearing, like, the draft is going to be in July. June gets there, the draft is going to be in August. We're in July now. We're hearing the draft is in September. It just kept on going. It just kept on pushing back and back and back. At one point, I didn't think I was going to get drafted until maybe 2021. So, you know, it took a lot of patience. We were grinding every single day in the gym. Um, whatever gym we could find, that could let us in. And it was, just, it was just really a scary time for, for everybody. You know, everybody's life was put on pause. But, you know, it also showed who were the nitty-gritty guys, the guys who were willing to find ways to, you know, make their life work and make extra money and find ways to make more money through the pandemic. You know, I think that's what really set everybody aside, you know.
2: It sounds like you viewed it as much of anything as an opportunity, which I guess everyone, mm-hmm. you know, kind of had to. We were all making the best of it with whatever we were doing in our lives.
1: Yeah. Definitely, I try to make the most of it, you know, I try to learn new skills, I tried to figure out ways to, you know, I got new hobbies, you know, got into, that's really when I got into video gaming, you know, I never really was a video game guy into, until the pandemic and, you know, I had to figure out something to do while I was in the house, just, just you know, being in there all, all day
2: it feels like you're someone who can find the the silver linings of a situation. So a lot of us Mm -hmm. look at your draft process, your initial year in the NBA, no summer league, very little training camp, and say, wow, what a huge disadvantage. You've seen several classes come since you and Mm -hmm. and now know what it's like to play in a summer league to have a Mm -hmm. full training camp. What were some of the silver linings to your experience that maybe uh, you have an edge on some rookie classes that didn't have the same experience you did?
1: I wouldn't put any, I wouldn't tell any of these guys to go through what we went through my first year. Um, we had no fans, couldn't leave our hotels when we were going to away trips. You know, we had to, had to get tested every day before, in the mornings, after games, before practice, after practice. So, you know, I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't want anybody to go through that, but I would say that, you know, um, Going through that whole entire process, was very humbling for all of us. You know, it made all of us appreciate the game of basketball more. You know, it was taken away from us for for a short period of time. And, you know, it made everybody just appreciate the game more.
2: I think that's fair, maybe putting the silver linings to that experience, mm-hmm. but maybe the silver lining is a greater appreciation now for yeah. everything you have. You're one of the players that seems to be first to raise your hand and volunteer to work in the community, always have mm-hmm. a smile for all the fans out there. How much more does it mean to get to interact with the fans and get to give back to the community, given your experience initially not being able to interact with anyone when you entered the NBA?
1: Uh, you know, just interacting with fans was just something that come naturally to me. Um, me, you know, we, when I went to Kentucky, Cal was really big on, you know, interacting with the fans, you know, showing their showing their appreciation for them. You know, they all they always come out and support us no matter if we're having a losing year or we're having a bad game or having a great game. You know, they're always there for us. So I think that just carried over to me coming into the NBA, you know, whenever we're having community events, you know, it's not that... It's not that hard for, for me to just go out there for a few hours and just interact with them and try to make somebody's day.
0: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field.
2: you're now established in the nba and not just as a part of this team but one of the better relief centers let's call it backup centers in the association you're consistently up there not just amongst the, the backups but amongst everyone in blocks per game offensive rebounds per game what are some of the things that you were able to figure out about the nba game that's allowed you to succeed so quickly coming from a draft position where, where quite frankly a lot of guys who are drafted in your range sometimes they don't make it to a second contract or a fourth mm-hmm. year or an established role
1: i mean it's just trying to find something that the team needs and i felt like you know i was- from the first two years we always lacked offensive rebounding. A guy that you know, set good screens and, you know, just protect the rim and, you know, just bring that energy, energy to the team and I felt like that's something that always comes naturally to me. You know, the other of other skill wise, you know, I'm still still developing, still trying to get better at everything. You know, I think my free throw game has also gotten way better as well. So, you know, just trying to find the, the things that the team needs out of one person and, you know, what comes naturally to you, you know, you just have to put that out there.
2: Is that been difficult to do? Because a lot of young players, when they come into the league, they're trying to maximize everything. They want to be Giannis. They want to be Durant. And it feels like not that you're not trying to expand mm-hmm. your game as much as you can, but you've done a very good job. And coaches have talked a lot about your ability to focus on the things that you're asked to do, excel at those first, and then try and build from there.
1: I mean, for sure, you know, I mean, I know I'm not the guy. I'm not, I know I'm not the best shooter on the team. I know I'm not the best ball handler. I know I'm not the best passer. But I do know that I am a guy that can also bring energy every single night. That's, like I said before, that's just come, it come naturally to me. And I think that, you know, you need, you need to find something that makes you stand out. I think that, you know, me being on the defensive side, you know, anchoring our defense, protecting the rim as much as possible, you know, I think that just makes me stand out just a little bit
2: the team the roster has certainly developed over your time here in Charlotte that said the storyline the last two seasons have obviously been centered around injuries mm-hmm. and absences how have you and the rest of your teammates managed to deal with the frustration of knowing how much better you probably would be if you had all your pieces and knowing that just for for this recent spell it hasn't been an option
1: I mean, you know it's just one of those things I just have to deal with uh, it comes with the comes with a job. Um every coach, every front office knows that it just comes with a job, it's gonna happen to a team eventually. Um uh, we don't want it to happen, but, you know, everybody just has has to have that next man up mentality. And, you know, the coaches it's on it's also on them to figure out how to work a way around it. And us and some players also the guys that don't play that much, you know, it's also on them to, you know, stay ready at all times. You know, the coaches are gonna do their job, they're gonna they're gonna figure out how to do it how to work around it. You know, us players, we got to figure out, we got to do our job as well.
2: And we'll close with some positivity or at least something I hope is positive. <laughs> What's the level of optimism that once this team is finally whole, that you can take off the way the front office believes, the coaching staff believes? Does that mm-hmm. resonate throughout the locker room?
1: Definitely. You know, I don't think, I don't think anybody on the team is hoping that guys come back and you know we're going to be better. I think everybody on the team is trying to figure out right now, you know, we always go into the game no matter if, Melo's out, Terry's out, Gordon's out, you know, Mark is out, PJ's out, Miles is out, you know, everybody on the team will also come into the game thinking that we're going to win and we're going to give it our best no matter who's out. You know, that's just the way we think and that's just the way everybody should think no matter what team you're on.
2: Nick, appreciate your optimism always and all you do for uh, the community here in Charlotte and for us here at the HHC. Thanks for joining us today on the Hornets I've cast.
1: No, no problem.
2: That's going to do it for this edition of the HHC. Thanks to Nick Richards for joining us in studio. Thanks to Rob Longo, our producer, for putting this podcast together. Most of all, thanks to all of you for tuning in. And a reminder, now with a lot of these long-form interviews, we are posting the video to YouTube. Definitely encourage you to go back through the archives. See our recent conversations with new Hornets co chairman Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, as well as as with Hornets veteran wing Gordon Hayward. Lots of great content for you there. Hope you'll go into our YouTube archives and check them out. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will talk to you tomorrow with a game preview edition of the Hornets Hivecast.
1: Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.